Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Grizzly Adner, and I'm joined by Professor Wagstaff, Venomous Denny, Hot Toddy. Good to be with you again, friends, as we explore a new, uh, it's not really a new format, it's just a new direction we're doing something here, so it's it's kind of in the vein of a monster mash, but we're going to start doing some shows where we talk about documentaries. Documentaries about, uh, you know, the films that we watch, and even around like uh, Halloween type stuff, so that's what we're doing tonight. Uh, so this will be the first of our, our little documentary mashup. And so uh, I am Grizzly Abner, and I chose a documentary about home haunters called The American Scream. Uh, I'm Professor. Hello there. And I picked Room 237, which is a exploration of film fanaticism centered around the movie The Shining. Okay. Hi there, listeners. Venomous Vinny here. <laughs> I chose Best Worst Movie, which is a movie about the movie Troll 2. And I'm Hot Toddy. I chose Halloween in a Box, which is about the costumes in a box. Halloween and in they made a, a documentary. Box. And I was thinking that, too. <laughs> I was literally about to think it, too. So uh, we, are going, we are going to start with Venomous Vinny's pick, documentary about Troll 2, best worst movie. Todd, you got any dates and details? Best worst movie, 2009, directed by Michael Paul Stevenson. Okay. Which is fun because American Scream, also directed by Michael Paul Stevenson. And so we're going to bookend with Michael Paul Stevenson documentaries. Right. This is where you're supposed to cheer. Okay. Woo. So, Vinny, take it away. <laughs> I heard crickets. So, uh, this documentary is made by the kid who starred, and I use quotation fingers when I say starred, in the <laughs> infamous worst movie ever made, Troll 2. He talks about how it was his childhood dream to be an actor. He was in this movie. Then, on Christmas the following year, he got a VHS with his movie. He watched it, and his dreams were destroyed <laughs> because the movie was absolutely god off. As the years have gone by, anybody who has seen Troll 2 knows there is an enormous cult following now for Troll 2 because it's so bad that it's good. And so this documentary is about this kid reuniting with the cast of Troll 2 and hitting these screenings in these movie houses and going to conventions and meeting fans and just the surprise 
almost bizarro success of Troll 2 20 plus years after it was originally released. I can uh, relate to Michael Paul Stevenson because um, very similar. I, uh, I shot a movie when I was a kid uh, where they got me filmed for about two and a half hours playing in a trash can. And that next Christmas, I got my movie as a Christmas gift. It was the Garbage Pail Kid movie. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was really upset to see that my scenes were cut. <laughs> I was terrified of where you were going with that. Yeah, I was, I was very <laughs> nervous. I was about ready to hit the pause record button. <laughs> uh, you know... It's no secret that we all get a good laugh out of Troll 2. Todd wants to pretend that he hates it, but he he was crying tears of joy when we covered it on the show. And so, uh, uh, yeah, a lot of fun. This documentary is great. Yeah, this is this is like my third, fourth time watching the documentary. Oh, I've yeah, it several times. I love this documentary because, and I mean, I'm sure we'll go over some different reasons on what we think about it um, for liking it or not. But one thing that's great about this, at least in my opinion, is it actually makes the film infinitely better. Yeah. Uh, yes. Because the documentary is such a charming experience. And for convention goers, they'll know what I'm talking about is sometimes you have these experiences with cast reunions that are so great that maybe a movie you were just lukewarm on becomes one you like a lot more because of those experiences. And I think you get a lot of that same dynamic from this documentary because I'd seen troll two before this. And I can tell you, I enjoy, enjoy troll two much, much more with this documentary in existence. Absolutely. I can uh, concur with that. Uh, I, cause I think a, a hold up for me too. I, a lot of the people that love troll two didn't even know what troll was. And I think, uh, <laughs> Just uh, I remember loving Troll and, and Troll 2 coming out. I was so excited, and and then I got it. And I, I don't think I really watched the movie maybe once or twice since it came out. And then I, I think the documentary definitely, because um, it's a great documentary about a shitty movie. So kind of, I don't know. I feel like the documentary is better than the, the, the source material. You're not wrong about I that. Couldn't, I can't argue with that. Yeah, you're not wrong about I that. You were, trying, just, you were trying to get a rise out of me, but I can't argue with it. It's such... Man, just the backstory of of how this was made, because it was made by an Italian director and his wife. Yeah. And to watch their reactions... <laughs> They thought they had a goddamn masterpiece. Still do. Still do, and yeah. I, I cannot fathom how they can think that everyone else is an idiot and doesn't get this movie that is... I mean, I get there's a language barrier, but he knows the actors are bad. Yeah, no, the thing is, is that movie's bad over there. <laughs> like, there's, there's no <laughs> barrier. It's just bad globally. Yeah, it's not the Italian Gone with the Wind. <laughs> no, no. But so I mean, is, go ahead. I was going to say, I love when, when he, he's trying to defend the movie, and he says, you know, the film is a parable. It's a parable about living, eating, <laughs> and dying. <laughs> yeah, when, when his wife was talking about how basically it was an indictment of people going ve uh, vegetarian, yeah. I was like, this is a reach, madam. <laughs> this is a reach. 
There weren't even any trolls in it. They didn't have any message. <laughs> no, no, it was just, and listening to uh, the girl who played the sister and be, be oh. like, as she continued to act, it was like, wouldn't, debated to tell people whether or not it was on a resume, but then knew all they had to do was search and they'd find it and watch it anyway. And her talking about not only was she, she wasn't even a teenager. She said she was a preteen in that movie. So can you imagine being at the most awkward time in your life? And, and by the way, possibly the only teenage dance scene worse than the one in Freddy's Dead. All right. And uh, Nightmare 2. I'm sorry. Pretty awkward teenage dance scenes, folks. And I hers was somehow worse. Yeah, I, one interesting takeaway from this for me that I had initially, and it always kind of sticks with me, is there's, I can't remember who it is, but somebody from the, the production, uh, kind of reflecting back on things, pointed out, like, we were trying to make a good movie. And so I, I feel like it's still lost in translation sometimes for people when they watch this. That At least for me, what I really take away from this is that this mattered to everybody when they made it. And so when you have a movie nine times out of 10, when you're just ripping it apart and laughing at it and you, and you're just taking it all for granted, there's usually a group of people who cared and are heartbroken or embarrassed by it. And I think that's, what's really interesting with this is you had uh, everybody involved in this, at least in the cast appeared to want to do this in some capacity with their life and knew immediately after seeing this that that wasn't going to happen now. And so when we check in with everybody from the documentary, they've dealt with this in different ways um, in terms of from, I guess you could say best to worst, you know, ironically, because, I mean, one of them's a shut-in, and the other one is the happiest dentist in the world who's just living his best life. What's his name, George? Does anybody have his last name? I can't remember off the top of my head, but yeah, this guy, there's no reason this guy became the centerpiece of this documentary. I'm surprised that we got this far in the process of talking about this documentary without discussing the national treasure that is George Hardy. So entertaining. (laughs) He's delightful. Like, (laughs) I love at one point they're interviewing his ex-wife and she says, I'm his ex-wife, and I love him. Like, no one has a bad <laughs> word to say about George Hardy. I'd be curious as to why they divorced. But, yeah, she's like, I got an idea. <laughs> Todd, do you have an idea? He is the little gay elf Rudolph. <laughs> <laughs> he wanted to be a dentist. Here's the thing. There's a part where he is going to horror conventions and completely belittling them. That is a testament to how much I like him because anybody else would have pissed me off. But with him, I'm like, eh, whatever. It's kind of funny. The first time that I watched it, right as it's getting to that point, I'm like, man, why don't they have this guy at horror cons, man? This guy is awesome. Then I see the part with the horror cons. It's like, oh, that is the reason I have never seen this dude at a horror con. He don't want to be there. No, he does not. I like how we're talking to Bo Duke. Have you seen Have you seen Trow too? And he lies to him and's like, "Oh yeah." So we always have to ask Todd, like, Todd, is this guy sweetly southern or gay? <laughs> <laughs> he loved reenacting the uh, 
What are you going to do to me, Daddy? Yeah, piss on hospitality. I won't allow it. Can you imagine, though, being him and all these years before you did this absolute shitter of a movie? No one even really knows that you did it. And then, all of a sudden, you're being taken from city to city, and you're walking out on stage, dentist by day, and crowds are erupting for you as you walk out of a curtain. I mean, that has got to be one hell of a life experience. Well, I, I think that's what's so great about this documentary is you, you get to see so many of the people from this movie achieve what they always dreamt of, just not in the way that they thought they'd get it. And yeah. it's, it's really pretty touching. Um, we've, we've got the one guy who's sitting out in the audience that just can't believe. And they bring him up there. Yeah, and it, he cites it as, like, the greatest moment of his life. And it's, it's just very sweet because you know that this movie completely devastated these people years ago. And they not only are getting to be rock stars briefly, but it gets to be documented because here we are talking about it. People can watch it in a documentary over and over and over again. And I, I just think that's it's so charming. Which, yes, it's available on Prime right now. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah, let's talk about – so, yeah, George Hardy, National Treasure, awesome, you know. <laughs> but that shopkeeper. That, what about how the shopkeeper got to take, like, day leave from the mental hospital he was staying in to go act in the film? Uh, yeah. yeah. And I believe him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those eyes don't lie. Don Packer yeah. is no joke. That is true. <laughs> if, uh, you're listening, the- if you're having a hard time remembering the shopkeeper, he's the one who's like, we don't have coffee. It's the devil's drink. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy who played Grandpa Seth as he recounts how he's wasted his life. <laughs> Boy, that's a that's, that's a sobering a moment to get through, isn't it? Yeah. It's tough because he's trying to be lighthearted about it, but his eyes won't let you believe him. Right? And yeah. It's a uh, it's a it's a pretty sobering moment. You're right, and but it's also interesting too because he gets a chance to tell viewers like, "Hey, man, I had this massive career on the stage. Like, you know, these people weren't just idiots that backed into this movie. Like, this guy probably thought, here's my chance in Utah of all places." <laughs> where I don't live in one of the coastal cities to make an impact and maybe get into movies. It's just, I don't know. I just, I find it fascinating people's backgrounds for a movie that otherwise we would have just laughed at for decades. Yeah. What is it? What is the description that they give about the movie troll two? They say it's like space aliens saw a movie (laughs) and tried to make one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Something along those lines. (laughs) Paraphrasing, uh, but yeah. When they were showing the trolls in the costume, I was wondering why we have not had the verse movie of uh, Howling 2 versus Troll 2. <laughs> <laughs> I like where your head's at on this. Um, oh my I also God. Like, <laughs> I also like how the shopkeeper said that he uh, hated Michael Paul Stevenson as a little kid and he wanted to kill him. <laughs> M- much like uh, Corey Feldman was talking about in Crystal Lake Memories. Yeah. Except Ted White wasn't in a mental hospital. I was getting ready to say that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shoot. Um, let's see. What other notes do I have here? Uh, yeah, so uh, we talked to the mom. The, the lady who played the mom is a, 
was a recluse. She she's clearly not well. Margot said she How wants about to get. When, when, when she made that noise, I, I almost recorded that because that was my favorite part. <laughs> <laughs> what was the question they asked her? They're, they're like, "What what's it sound like?" <laughs> <laughs> she does the sound with a very vacant look in her eye. And, uh, like, you could like George is like. <laughs> He's yeah. so nice, but He's you can see staring. him. You can see him internally being like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, his uh, <laughs> land of sunshine and cotton candy is being penetrated <laughs> by her there. <laughs> well, that that was already after uh, he asked her about uh, if, if something about how she's doing or something, and she's like, "I wish I just was where no one could find me." After yeah. they like yeah. seek her out. She says, yeah. like, I wish I could go out and live in the woods and, and bury this movie forever or something like that. And then, then she say, like, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting until I get better and I'm going to get back into acting. Yeah. 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 Um, she's she's been retired for one year. I think her story is a, is a testament to the filmmaking of this because I think most documentaries would have exploited her for a yeah. much lengthier portion mm -hmm. of the documentary. And you could tell that... That I they I think they felt uncomfortable to begin with, just yeah. period with her. But that her part of the story mattered, and so she's included. But they don't dwell on it or make fun of it. I mean, there's some humorous moments with it, but at the same time, it's it's kind of sweet. You can tell that there's care with it, and I, they really delicately handled that. And I think uh, that's what saves this documentary. Is literally what I was about to say is that they treated it very delicately, and they even got her to recreate the car scene. Uh, so they did. Oh my! Oh, sing that song that I like. <laughs> and row, it's my row, favorite row, part of the boat. documentary. Good God! That is my absolute favorite part of the documentary. It's always what I think of when I think of this because <laughs> yeah. it's for a moment she gets to just chill out and not hate her past with this and have fun. And it's just it's such a great moment. It's not the moment where George says, have you seen how many people have gingivitis here? Oh, yeah. <laughs> here you go. I almost, after hearing George there, I almost wish, I'm, I regret that we haven't all done this whole commentary in our best George voice. <laughs> So it, what, it, it, what is it? What does it say? It's a little sad, his reaction at the uh, HorrorCon, which we do see, like, uh, a lot of uh, favorites there. But uh, I think if he would have, like, realized that probably probably the react the best people that he's going to get for fans was at the HorrorCon. So I think if he uh, would have just yeah. kind of, like, kind of relaxed at that one and, and sucked it up. And, and especially I, after first, I think now he would have more attention now yeah. Uh, one of my last notes here is speaking of the uh, the mom and them recreating that scene. What about how occasionally they would pan over to her <laughs> mom, watching them in absolute disgust? <laughs> oh man! She's like, I want them out of here. This, uh, man, I I can't recommend this enough for people. Yeah, same here. Please, if you've seen Troll, even if you haven't seen Troll, yeah, you don't even have to have seen it. You'll want to watch Troll Two after you've watched this documentary. Yeah, so it's one of the rare occasions where I would recommend the documentary first. Yeah, I you're not wrong. All right, well, that's all my notes. Uh, anything else to say about best worst movie? 
Awesome. Sweet. Yeah, gotcha. just a great documentary. And, and Abner and I have said this for years. We love documentary weirdos. <laughs> yep. And this movie is full of varying degrees of documentary weirdos. It scratches that itch tenfold. Yep. And does it in a very nice way. Yes. Yeah. So, all right, moving right along. We're rolling into Todd's pick. Halloween in a box. Toddy, you got some dates and details? Halloween in a box, 2019, directed by Rob Keparazzi. Not Rob Zombie, no. Yeah. That have been dick in a box in a trailer park. <laughs> okay. You want to tell us what it's about, Todd? Uh, so it's about a, it's about Halloween in a box. Just kidding. So uh, <laughs> it actually features, it mainly features the Ben Ben Cooper Incorporated, but also Halco and um, is it Collegeville? Collegeville. Um, so and if you're actually, I mean, we're '80s kids, but this was our parents' uh, generation as well. But from um, I think it covers 1937. I think they did regular costumes, and some point in the 60s, they started doing what uh, referred to like the the little mask in a box. And if you can remember uh, going to the store, and you'd see like your favorite uh, Peanuts character at Halloween time, and uh, you never saw what the costume looked like, but you saw the face, which the the face was always pretty awesome. The uh, costume was usually pretty generic; it would just have their face on it again and their name. So I guess uh, for the idiots that didn't know who you were, and um, really we cool mask. Grandparents. <laughs> Usually the mask lasted a good uh, two hours after wearing it before it snapped. <laughs> Guaranteed to break. <laughs> and the uh, the really cheap costume didn't usually last their trick or treat. Vinyl smock. But uh, they were still awesome. And uh, just watching the doc, there was actually characters that that I didn't even know existed that they did. Um, I feel like they've done probably everybody from uh, from like JFK to Mr. T uh, and everybody in between. So it's a cool little documentary, kind of like the uh, kind of like the upstart of uh, not really the upstart, but just basically going back to the era of the Halloween in a box. Um, I feel like these are starting to come back around, and occasionally you can find them online if they're not ridiculously priced, because uh, probably the average one goes for two hundred bucks. Um, my next door neighbor actually owned an antique shop in Dayton and he said that he would get them, uh, he thought he was making a killing off, uh, $20 a piece that he was selling them for. And I was like, man, I, do you happen to have any left that I can buy from you? Uh, but he was like, yeah, no, they lasted 10 minutes in the store every time. Cause you're selling well, them for no $20. Shit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a cool little doc. Uh, I've been wanting to see this, it premiered last year on, uh, I think uh, most of the cable companies and like Amazon Prime, I want to say it was on there. Of course, now it's for rent. Um, but yeah, I, uh, just nostalgia alone, I wanted to see this documentary, and that's why I picked it. And um, definitely uh, better documentaries probably out there for the Halloween season, but it's still uh, nostalgia alone, I think, was worth the watch. And that's, uh, I, I don't. I think that it was. I loved it. I I was absolutely thrilled at when I when I watched it because number one, the nostalgia. I mean, it ripped me right back to being a, a small kid in the, in the eighties. Um, and also, I never knew the backstory to these companies, 
I had no idea that they had been making costumes for each respective company for as long as they had in that similar style. So not only that, great time of year to watch this movie as well. And then, of course, <clears throat> starts to tell the story of why you don't see them quite like the ones quite like that on the shelf anymore. But it was, but it was uh, you still see their influence today. There's still versions of it. It may not be the same companies, but you still got, it's a very cheap cloth and it's a plastic, not quite as cheap vacuum form, but, and the straps are better, but that style is still out there. So it still serves its purpose. I really enjoyed this. I was glad you picked this one. Were you, were you crying there just a second ago? <laughs> uh, fighting them back. Fighting them back. Uh, yeah, uh, I know Fright Rags is, is one of the companies that um, their own little version where certain T-shirts they'll do in the, the retro box with the mask. Um, so, I don't know. That's pretty cool. I, I Personally, I kind of wish they'd start selling these again, like in the um, – we kind of talk about on the, the last uh, episode that we did or whenever that uh, – it should air before this. Um so yeah, the uh, I don't know. I always remember walking in the store. I think by the time the last few I remember, they didn't have them in the box anymore. They had them on a on a hook with a mask yeah. hanging. And I, yeah. I was really trying to think the last time we were talking about these because I know that every year I would end up with one of these. I know I did Vampire probably several times, but after seeing the Care Bear, I'm pretty sure that I did uh, a Care Bear one year. But um, I was. I was kind of blown away too. Uh, I kind of felt like this disappeared when we were kids, but the company alone went till 92. Yeah. Cause in the documentary, they were showing some teenage mutant Ninja turtles. And, um, I, I th that's long past where I thought they, uh, had continued. And I, apparently in 92 rubies bought them out and then just folded the name and decide not to, to just sell on it. Cause you know, rubies is that big cool Halloween store that everybody talks about every year. <laughs> no. Well, I thought it was okay. Um, I didn't. I didn't. Like, I was really excited by the trailer, and uh, <laughs> I was like, "Boy, Todd and Vinny are gonna kill me for this one." But uh, yeah, I thought it was okay. Um, it was interesting, but a little, little drier than I had hoped it would be. I mean, they're like, they're talking to to Bob Cooper, who's Ben's son, and. Uh, He's like, oh, yeah, let me tell you about the time we got the rights for Foghorn Leghorn. And I'm like, I don't think we, we came here to hear about Foghorn Leghorn and how you got the rights to that. But, like, you know, but once they got up to the 80s, I, I started having more fun with it. And, like, to see some of the old ones, like, to see that there was a JFK costume and hear the story behind that was really cool. Um, you know, to, to see the Beatles ones and how much those go for. So, like, yeah, I didn't I didn't dislike this documentary. It just it wasn't as as thrilling as i'd hoped to be so i thought benny was getting ready to turn off the show and uh <laughs> also like it's so in other words like a slow burn with no uh no uh rednecks yeah none yeah there was none of action there wasn't enough hillbilly uh enough explosions <laughs> yeah so here's here's the thing that we should clarify for listeners if you are not deeply interested in this it's not the easiest watch now it's low I budget yeah, it's for starters, it's I don't want to say amateurish because that's way too hard. I don't mean it that way. But, but this they, isn't go they ahead. don't mic they don't mic major people. Oh, They're the using audio, the, the audio quality was trash. Yeah. Oh yeah. That that was my biggest frustration starting with this because 
we were miking up people better in our high school TCOM class in the nineties. <laughs> I mean, seriously, like it's very frustrating because it's like, Hey man, we're preserving these people's legacy. That's the point of making this film. And you've got them sitting, sitting in a wide open conference room without even a boom mic over them. Yeah. Cause it's, it's literally picking it up on the camera mic and it's, it's borderline distracting at times, but so I can get over production value, but it is important to point out, but also it goes really, really deep into the, the beat for beat rights holding and the battle between it, which is very interesting. But I like just for me as an example, I only need a five minute segment on that talking about how cutthroat between the, the Titans uh, the Titan companies that it was for the rights. It really dwells on that. And the only reason I bring it up is because this is an hour and 40 minutes. It's just, it's a little on the thorough side. With that said, if you are deeply in love with these costumes, it's wonderful that this is out there. So it's not a bad documentary, but it is very specific. And I think that that's important to point out uh, to listeners if, if they're interested in checking it out. It's, it definitely has its merits. I love the beginning, especially, and going back into the roots of it. I also learning, loved learning about um, some of the people in general that were behind these companies. Uh, nice stories about them. I like, I like that a lot. So there was plenty of good stuff in it, but I do think that it's also important to point out those two elements of it, that you really need to be dedicated to this before you, you spend money to rent it. Yep. You're spending $3. <laughs> okay. Well, after I saw the quality, I wish I would have just went for the two dollars for the standard definition. Well, did, were, were you afraid Thanos wasn't going to look that good to you, or <laughs> you knew what you were getting into? Right, a documentary. I got to have this documentary in HD. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that time I got fooled by that hammer. Dracula oh man, <laughs> that that was a dirty trick on that. <laughs> dollar burned me up. Good boy. Was that the NC Hammer production of Dracula? <laughs> yes, that's the Hammer films. Oh, um, yeah. Like so, I love that at the beginning they they go directly to Woolworth, and I remember being a kid, and Woolworth was always banging for Halloween, like always had costumes, always had decorations up in the store. Uh, you know, in the, in the, the, the age of the five and dime is a bygone era for, for those of us in a city of any note, like, you know, there's little towns around this country that still have a five and dime, but I, I'm sure they don't go all out for Halloween. Right. So you could go. Well, into- I'm, I can, my dad always talked about Kreskis, which they mentioned in there. I thought that was fun. You could go into World Wars and get the new Nintendo game, uh, a hot cassette, uh, a fish or a gerbil, and a new Halloween costume. And then go have fish and <laughs> chips at the Woolworth restaurant Yes, right next door. <laughs> if this documentary reminded me of that Netflix series, The Toys That Made Us, yeah, and, but but not as slick and without the budget. Exactly. And so that's, the, especially think, the rights. Yeah, yes. I think if I had never seen the toys that made us, this may have been a little bit. I've been spoiled. We'll put it that way, right? We've That's all fair. been spoiled with slicker docks. That's fair. Um, but I also like that they make the point that in sixties, in the sixties, they started working. You know, they were going to Hollywood to hear about what movies were coming out, and then finding out which toy manufacturers were getting the rights. And they were like, "All right, if Hasbro or Kenner got it." We're going to invest deep for the costume, but if some kind of yeah. no name place got That's it, cool. 
we weren't going to go that deep. And they they did have the segment too that like uh the off season which was Star Wars that Star Wars didn't matter for Halloween that I think they put them out in March because all the kids were going to see Star Wars and was and was losing their mind and uh which is cool too that uh those kids now cosplay as a uh, as Batman at our uh, local grocery store so <laughs> guys I'd never seen it before but uh how High detail was that alien xenomorph mask. <laughs> you know, it, it looked as high detail as that there was a Nintendo game that clearly they didn't want to pay the rights for Alien called Xenomorph. <laughs> and it looked just like that. Uh, that xenomorph mask is why the costume itself had a photo and the name of what you were. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Prime but example. I liked, I liked how in the documentary they were so proud of it. They were like, we yeah, really they knocked, were. They're like, we really knocked out that xenomorph mask. I was like, what is that? What I I drew a better xenomorph when I was eight. <laughs> now, to be fair, yeah, <laughs> to be fair, it's, it's a difficult mask to pull off for a half vacuum form mask. <laughs> to be fair, Not but yeah, you can. One can't <laughs> stop but think when they're uh, reflecting on how great it is that this is why it's a retrospective <laughs> at this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wish but I it, like we said, it hit all those nostalgia buttons it, it, for me and wearing those type of costumes as a kid. It's a bygone era. And if you're somebody who misses that and even to see the photos of the old costumes, because some of them was like, oh, shit, I remember seeing that one. I remember seeing that one. So, I don't know. That aspect of it was, was huge for me. Yeah. Well, because not only with these people's legacies, but our memories too. A lot of this stuff just drifts away. And I, so it's cool when somebody puts together something like this, it, it locks it in. We can always go back and look at it when we want. And I think that was my disappointment was that I wish they would have spent more time looking at more of the costumes um, yeah. than all the legal litigation stuff. My <laughs> only other thing, I'm not trying to pile on. I just got to point out that same piano cue was actually like turning me into the Manchurian candidate by the end of the film. I was like, is this, like a cue, like it's the same notes over and over. Near, near, near. Like they, thought if it worked, they thought if this works for Creature from a Black Lagoon, <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> yeah, I, I was hearing it in my sleep last night. It told me to put on the OJ costume and kill. Kill. <laughs> 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 Uh, last, you know, last costume I want to point out is I, uh, I love the, uh, the kiss costumes. Those were fun. I didn't know those existed. Um, yeah, that was cool. Abner got online to try to buy one and realized they were more than two bucks. <laughs> <laughs> if they were two, he would have offered them a dollar fifty. Uh, and then they just kind of, right. They kind of hit the controversy about, you know, when Halloween got threatened. And I think it, I thought that was very timely. Uh, yes, as as we are worried about what the future of trick or treating is for this year, maybe next, God knows. Um, that 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 we we are reminded that there was a time that trick or treating was under under threat, and that you know the whole idea that uh, people were lacing Tylenol capsules with cyanide after the factory, so someone was doing it in stores, and there was a the concern that they would do it to the kids' candy. And uh, I think it was Ben Cooper made a pamphlet, like made a booklet. That was really cool. Didn't they say they got together with their competition and like? I, they, I think you're right. Yeah, which is 
I mean, how nuts is that? That's like Coke and Pepsi coming together with RC Cola. You know what I mean? To yeah. save the soda industry. To save well, and it's interesting, too, because I think it, it really takes a moment to showcase their sincerity. This wasn't just a paycheck. Like, I think the, most of these people were passionate about creating joy for this time of year. And they talked mm-hmm. about how they cool. took care of their employees throughout it, too. So, yeah, these, these were companies that gave a shit. Which yeah. is a refreshing thing to hear. Yeah, though. Too bad yeah. they don't exist anymore. The, the one guy talks about getting a job there, and and he kind of actually under, like like he basically I think was probably had like probably a fourth of the wages, and not only did he get hired, but they were like, yeah, you're going to get paid way more than that. Like, yeah, they're like, you need more than this. That's crazy. You'd never that, hear that story now. That and they gave the booklet away for free. Yes. Yeah, and that and for, for you listening at home, the booklet was about safe Halloween precautions, and so they made and save the industry. Yeah, I, I want to say this was definitely one of the moments. But I don't think it was the exact moment either when the stores had to start uh, actually having like the the basically the tamper proof because I feel like there was another incident for them to do that, but like that was one of them. Uh, I, I don't think they did it till the late '80s though. But you could just open a product off the shelf and it was wide open. Similar to uh, people putting glue in shampoo right now, so because people's horrible. Or no, it wasn't glue. It was Nair. I'm sorry, Nair. Why are you making up urban legends? That happened at our local Walmart. Nair do wells. You ain't got a lie to kick it. Get on that speak out page. It'll tell you. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> All right. Anything else to say about Halloween in a box? No. It's a Set good season. Do what achieved. Yeah, it's it's a niche documentary. If that's your if that's your area, check it out. Todd just keeps watching that video from uh, Troll. That was uh, be, that was gonna be my review. And <laughs> yeah, he's lost his spot, and so he, uh, I'm done. <laughs> Turn this off. Uh, okay, Wait, so that's it for Halloween in the box. Let's talk about uh, <laughs> it's about Professor's pick number. Dates and details. 2012, Room 237, uh, directed by Rodney Asher. Okay, Professor. Yeah, so, I'm sorry, normally I'm used to naming stars, but I thought that was kind of weird. There's, I need to well, stop here because I accidentally watched Reno 911. <laughs> <laughs> so, basically, I, I picked this for two reasons. One, I, I think it's an uh, interesting example of filmmaking in terms of how you can approach something in a completely different avenue and do it really well. Um, and I also think it's interesting to take a look, especially in, in the climate we're living in, of conspiracy theories, um, to really examine a handful of people, which this documentary does. So basically, the the whole crux of this, this film is interviewing different talking heads, which we never show on screen, uh, on their different theories on what they truly believe The Shining is about. And so we, we basically, I keep hearing something else. Um, we basically have uh, four different avenues that we travel through in terms of what people are explaining that they think this movie is really about. Now, I just want to say right up front, I, back when this came out, I was interested to watch it just because The Shining is my favorite movie. And so I was interested to see uh, just what it was all about, and if there was a lot of, uh, you know, secrets and deep hidden things in it that I just hadn't noticed yet. 
And so I do want to clarify, I don't agree with anything in this movie uh, before we jump into these. So keep that in mind as I describe these real quickly. And we don't have to go through uh, all of the, the theories in depth, but just the general idea of them. Um, we have one angle that this has to do with the way Native Americans were treated and uh, the genocide of them on the land that the hotel was built on. And we point out the not only the flowing of the blood up through the elevators, but we also have uh, lots of decor throughout the hotel uh, in the food pantry with the Calumet brand. Um, and so that's what one guy is selling. Another one, which I honestly, I've, I've seen this documentary. This is my third viewing. I still don't really understand what even the point of the theory is, but that it's centered around minotaurs. Um, <laughs> my favorite. It's, it's pretty brief in comparison to some of the other stuff that's covered in here. Um, but they point out a, uh, there's a famous scene in the film where the Grady twins first appear in the recreational room where Danny's throwing darts. And there is a poster behind them of a skier. And according to this person, it looks like a minotaur. And that's clearly that what theory Cooper was minotaur. Yeah. <laughs> so clearly that is what Stanley Kubrick is trying to tell us with the poster of the skier. Uh, that was back there. I thought it was uh, do cocaine. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> third theory is that this was this film was Stanley Kubrick's hidden admission and apology for faking the moon landing. Um, there is Danny wearing the Apollo sweater. There is uh, mentions of room two thirty seven and two thirty seven having to do with the distance to from the Earth to the moon. Um, and lastly. Uh, we also have somebody that thinks that this is directly his picture on the Holocaust, which I think most people who watch The Shining think the same thing when they get done. <laughs> um, and so we're comparing, like, for instance, in the lobby when Jack first gets there for the job, we've got a bunch of luggage piled up there, and clearly that is mirroring all of the luggage that was left at the concentration camps. Yeah. Um, so those are basically the the four angles of thought that we we go through with this but um i think why this is possible is there is a lot of mystique around stanley kubrick's intelligence he was a literal genius in terms of his iq scores by all accounts and was insanely meticulous i mean there's things that i do know about the film that are facts like uh the scene where doc is having ice cream there at the beginning they did a, I think 127 takes of that i think it's the most takes ever on a scene and scatman crothers was ready to kill him he didn't understand what the hell he was doing and so there was that level of obsessive detail everything that he did was designed it was planned that whole hotel was built that's on a studio lot and so he had total control over every placement and everything and so what that does is it kind of gives free license to people's imagination. And that's really what this documentary is. It's not about selling any of these theories. It's about showing where people go when they want to believe something. And even the filmmaker has said, I think it's a straightforward movie about a guy who goes out for a job with his family and how decisions and making the wrong ones can impact your home life. And, and you know, it's just, I, I just think that it's a perfect example of filmmaking because they are so inventive with how they approach it. They use footage from Kubrick's films. 
um, obviously the shining, but other ones too. And, um, all kinds of diagrams and other things. And so I just think it's a, it's an interesting example of documentary filmmaking. That's why I picked it. Um, what did you guys think? Any opinions on any of the theories? If you had to pick one, would there be one that you think is possible? If, if I had to go with one, I would, I would say probably the, um, probably like the whole, the genocide of the, the native Americans. Cause it makes sense. And I feel like it isn't Dr. Sleep. Don't they acknowledge stuff with that, with the hotel? Like, that it was built on Native American um, burial ground. If there is one, but I just, I, I agree with what you said. I, I feel like he read Stephen King's book and he had his own interpretation of it and people are reading into a lot of stuff. Um, as much as I love movies, I'm usually the last person. I just must be way too into movies. I never noticed this shit until people pointed out, like the three men and a baby ghost. Saw that movie a million times and I was like, there's no ghost no standy whatever they said it was um i never noticed that till it was pointed out to me so um if, if i had to i would say maybe that's an underline but i think that's an underline of probably a weird backstory of it but i don't i don't think he was i don't know like the blood coming up was just a cool visual uh this is my second viewing and i waited till yesterday to try to find it <laughs> realized it wasn't on any of the streaming services and so I watched it on uh, YouTube, shrunk down to one-fourth of the screen, mirrored, <laughs> and at one-and-a-half speed. <laughs> so the question <laughs> is, did it make more sense? It did. It, it absolutely <laughs> convinced me this time around. Uh, I did a seven-day free trial of the IFC channel. And I just burned up my IFC trial for another oh. movie that we did a month or two ago. <laughs> I went down in the basement this was so and pulled it off the see. shelf. And it was open because I watched it <laughs> when Dr. Sleep came out. So second viewing. This is the second, this is the second time that I've seen it. Um, I had to go to the ER for spraining my eyes from rolling them so hard this time. <laughs> uh, that's why I'm wearing glasses now. Uh, the, every theory can be summed up to this for me. I don't know if any of you remember the series Get a Life with Chris <laughs> Elliott. But there's an ep there's an episode where he gets a mail away build it yourself submarine that he builds in a shower and he <laughs> names it Tony as in Tony the Tiger from Frosted <laughs> Flakes because there's no sub Institute for a better cereal. That is how far I feel like these people are reaching <laughs> for every one of these theories that they have. And yeah. I mentioned I was in a room full of people. Let's see, one, two, three, four other people who are horror fans. And I mentioned that I was going to be watching watching this documentary for the podcast. Every one of them said, oh my God, I hate that documentary. Every one of them. Now, I won't go so far as to say that I hate that documentary. However, there does, about the time Minotaurs get brought in, it starts to become a little bit of a chore. I like a lot of the stuff. Like, I don't mind a conspiracy theory. As long as you're willing to admit that it's a theory. You should love today's time. And not, and not try to push it as these are facts. As long as you will acknowledge that it is a conspiracy theory, 
that being said, um, if I had to go with any of them, I guess the Native American <laughs> stuff, but I'm really not buying any of them. D does anybody that push these kind of theories, though, do they ever call them conspiracy theories? No. But no, I, I will say, I did. there are some odd coincidences when it comes to the uh, faking of the moon landing that yes. they put out. So I was going to say, the first time I watched this, I was really jacked for it. And after watching it, I was just like, what <laughs> did I just watch? But second time around, I had more fun with it because I knew what to expect. And so That's I was fair. able to appreciate, I was able to appreciate the, the, the style that it was made and like the work that went into it. And so I liked it better the second time around, but that's almost because I knew what I was getting into and I could laugh about it more Sure, because the first time around I was taking it very seriously. And so that's like, I, th I thought the stuff was cool where they would show you how in scenes the carpet was facing a different direction. Like little things that you know because of Kubrick, you know there it was a reason for it. I don't necessarily buy that the reason they're giving me is the reason for it. Um, yeah, I don't know. Here's, it was so, it is enjoyable. I like when they start getting into running the movie simultaneously, front to back and back to front. Woo! Oh man! Hair blow on. Here's a fun fact. I have that. Really? <laughs> I have a copy where it plays <laughs> at the same time. I've That's never funny. actually sat through the whole thing, but do you, do you uh, watch it like Skinamax? Yes, yes, I do. <laughs> so it's important oh, real, to point out quick, for listeners. Real, real quick, well, go ahead. Go ahead. If I could, if I could, I didn't get to say what my favorite theory was, and I think you just said the moon landing. But go ahead. No, I didn't. Yeah, my favorite, my favorite is the Minotaur because it's the most absolutely pointless one. Because <laughs> why the fuck would he try to be making a point about Minotaurs? Like, well, sure. that shows how little you know about Minotaurs. Frankly, <laughs> it's like if he's making a Holocaust statement, I get that. If he's making a Native American statement, I get that. If he's if it's his apologetic for for the moon landing, I get that. But like, why get so hung up on like? This is a movie about Minotaurs. <laughs> so yeah, this is actually definitely. a movie about the apocalyptic holocaust that we did to the Minotaurs on the moon. <laughs> but yeah, that's when I was describing the theories, that's what I was saying. I can't even figure out what the motive is of that one. Like, yeah, that's, that's why it's no my point. favorite. That's why we don't see them on film and they just uh, do like a, a reinterpretation because that dude's just smoking and, and it's just a clouds of smoke. That one was actually the mom from Troll 2. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it's important to point out to listeners, the point of this documentary is not to sell you on any of these theories. If you're yes. tuning in to have your mind blown by the theories and you're still disappointed by that by the end of it, you're missing the point of the film. It's about examining insane opinions and how people believe what they want to believe. And it's presented in a really cool fashion. Uh, there, there are some cool things, things that I hadn't really thought about or noticed, like when they point out why there should be absolutely be no window in Stuart Ullman's office. Why yeah, the yeah. hell is there a window in there? That's something what about I'd the part where he has a boner for half a frame? Yeah, that's a reach. <laughs> that is a reach. Boner? Clearly. Yeah. Clearly Kubrick's being cheeky here. That Woo! one always makes me laugh when they freeze frame it. I'm like, oh yeah, you got it. But and so it's I think it's particularly interesting where they make diagrams of the layout of the hotel. And That's my favorite you. part of the whole doc. Yeah, and so I think it's worth watching for that alone. Um as a at least a, 
a big fan of the the original. But when they're showing him riding around on the on the hotel grounds on his bike, and they're showing where and why it doesn't make sense in the in the placement, and I do think I I mean he really was studying subliminal advertising. And I really do think he was trying to do some some innovative things with this film, not in terms and of I'm sending sure a message. Yeah, not not in terms of like trying to send some hidden message in the film, but I think just from a horror angle, he was trying to approach it from a different place. He was trying to make it disorienting and with flashes of imagery, and so it it's interesting in that aspect that it takes a look at it. But yeah, well, that's, that's about was- it. I always took his version of uh, of the story as as he was crazy, so it makes sense that all the stuff he's doing because the carpet doesn't match in scene to scene, and the typewriter changes color and stuff disappears. And because um, like me, that like, chair, yeah. Before I, yeah, before I ever read the book, I always just thought that he kind of it wasn't so much that it, the hotel was haunted as much as he's crazy. And then in the yeah. King story, it's clear it's it's a haunted hotel yeah well the shrubs are coming to life Todd what was your reaction the first time you watched it (laughs) guys we know what the sign off is going to be guys he's been sitting here with his phone in his hand for five minutes waiting to do that (laughs) so I had to throw him in (laughs) alley I don't want to cut off the professor because he would have like destroyed his room and drove up here to beat my ass (laughs) sitting here under my breath going don't you dare interrupt him (laughs) Listen, this is like one step up for me trying to explain a Giallo film. <laughs> Thank you for your patience. Uh, yeah, so the maps, I, I agree, are worth the price of admission alone to watch some of that layout. That's really cool. Um, yeah, I really, this time around, I really, uh, you know, the, the, the moon landing theory, just the, the whole idea that, that, like, that Kubrick is jack nicholson's character like it's him yelling at his wife and and feeling like he can't do his job or talk about his job and she doesn't understand and uh i think that's the same theory where they talk about at the beginning where you see the wrecked vw bug and it's yeah that was a toward yeah when scatman carruthers is headed there yeah and it's the color of the the one that's in the book I do believe that was a fuck you to Stephen King. Like, Kubrick changed the color and was like, see, I wrecked your vehicle. We're in my yeah. car now. And yeah. I'm going to tell you I totally buy that. about how I faked the moon landing. <laughs> <laughs> and if you look at room number 237, it's room and number. And room and the N are the capital letters. And that little O doesn't count. And all you can get out of room and N is moon room. And that's clearly <laughs> what room 237 is, is the moon room. Clearly. <laughs> the I'm, first time around, that's when I was like, we have just lost cabin pressure. <laughs> professor about to give hands to everybody. I, I will say this, this was strong enough to go. Was Eyes Wide Shut a good movie? Should I watch it again? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just I just like it because I think it, it gets conversation going in an interesting angle. But I, whether people like the documentary itself or any of the theories, I get it if they don't. But I ju- I just think it's uh, one of a kind. I, th- I think what what makes it an easy watch for me though is that these people are so into this movie that they've come up with all these crazy theories and they watched it clearly a ton of times and examined 
Like the one guy I was talking about how in the theater he noticed like all the shit, and I'm like, I never noticed stuff ever. And like two of them I, talked I, about how they hated it the first time they saw it. I kind of wanted to tell those people to uh, maybe watch another movie once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it don't have to be sleepaway camp every day. That's going to say 20 years from now. 20 years from now, we're all going to release a documentary of our theories about sleepaway camps since we all watch it multiple times a year. Uh, it is the best gender reveal movie ever. Bingo. <laughs> Didn't even burn down a forest. <laughs> now, I think that this is one that could have some staying power. Like, Vinny, I could picture me and you sitting around drinking some night and putting this on and like laughing at it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think it could That's have that, it could have that kind of staying power in that. Like, we're not laughing at the way the documentary is made because it's so well no. made. We're laughing at how crazy these theories, how batshit those theories is. Are. That yeah. is that in between your your wonderful yeah. whites? Yes, this would be yes. a double bill with wonder, wild wonderful whites of West Virginia. So, yes. So, you know, thank you, Professor, for having us watch it again. I don't know that I would have watched it again. And I actually, I had more fun this time around because I knew what I was in for. I was dreading watching it. I was like, God, I got to watch this stupid movie again. But I was like, man, this is like, it's fun because it's well made and it's so crazy. I just think the filmmaking is impressive. Whether you like the subject matter or the conspiracy theories, which, like I said, I don't buy a single one of them. Yeah. All right. Well, moving right along. Round third and heading home. We've got my pick, The American Scream. Toddy, dates and details. American Scream, 2012, directed by Michael Paul Stevenson. Hey, we know that guy. Uh, uh, Where do I begin? So this is a documentary about home haunters. Uh, Specifically, this revolves around three in uh, the greater, I think the greater Boston area, I think, I mean, yeah, I think yeah. Massachusetts. Um, and uh, as Vinny said earlier, Vinny and I are suckers for documentary weirdos, and this is in my top ten documentary weirdos. Um, we have watched this together how many times? That's not counting the times we've watched it by ourselves at home. I would say together we've watched it at least a half dozen do, uh, times. Do me and the professor need to leave the room? <laughs> <laughs> I've seen this Bit. film. This is actually... All right, y'all are going to laugh. This is the third time I've watched it this year. <laughs> third time this year? I can't get you to watch a Dracula movie. <laughs> so, <laughs> evidently, has this taken on a different role for you? Is this like a safety blanket? It is. That's, that's why the first time I watched it, it was like mid-pandemic, and I texted Vinny. I said, we're six months from Halloween. I'm tired of the pandemic. I need something to get me through. <laughs> so, is this why I had to walk through your garage and it was like a haunted house? <laughs> <laughs> I said, wait there. And then I jumped out. And then I said, wait there. And I jumped out. <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe we should start doing no daily welfare checks. <laughs> like a few, few bad weeks away from turning into Charlie Babbitt. <laughs> I gotta tell you, I gotta tell you, I love this documentary. Yeah, love it. So, real quick, I was just gonna give the setup, and then we could talk about other things. Um, so, there's uh, three home haunts, and it revolves around Victor, who's a family man, and uh, Victor. We find out later grew up in his mom had him as part of the Branch Davidians. 
and so they weren't allowed to celebrate Halloween. And that kind of gives you a glimpse. Like Victor's like an IT guy, very smart, makes good money at work. And so his family puts up with him uh, being this nuts about building a home haunt every year. And, and you listening at home, this is not something they run every weekend in October. This is just for trick-or-treating night. Yeah. So Victor's the family man. Uh, you've got the father and son, Matthew, who, uh, uh, <laughs> 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 who they are each other's best friends, and they probably don't talk to anybody else except for uh, Matthew's uh, friend, Barbara. Who Both wants of them are collecting a disability check. <laughs> Barbara... Dude. Barbara wants to be with Matthew, but Matthew just doesn't think of her like that. I was say uh, Barbara's in heat. <laughs> yeah, I mean. <laughs> Sorry, Bob. What? I was like, so what? this is what the American Scream's about to be. <laughs> and, like, you look at Matthew, and you look at Barbara, and you're like, Matthew, buddy, you got to strike while the iron hot. Like, yeah. <laughs> this is <laughs> Seriously, better than he's ever going to have another opportunity. Absolutely. This Absolutely. is the last train coming through town, buddy. Shout out and to then, Barbara. And then your last, the other guy, what's his name? Manny. Uh, Manny. Sousa or something to that effect? Sure. Anyway. Uh, yeah. Yeah, he's like, a, he's just like this old gruff Boston kind of guy. He's he's a grandpa, and so he's always making his grandkids do stuff with him, and they, they, they're not having much fun. He's like, pick up that coin. I'm cutting that <laughs> coin. Pick it up. We're using it in the haunt. <laughs> and so, and Manny. Manny makes a map of the, you know, their 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 suburb of where you can go see things, and yeah, Manny's dedicated. So Victor, Manny, and Matthew and his dad. So uh, let's 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 let the virgins speak first. So uh, Todd or or so this is a uh, first time watch. Um, <sighs> I think I was half familiar about this one, half not, because I almost felt like it was the. There's like these Halloween war shows. I thought it was like just like a something from that. Um, the dad and brother reminded me of uh, the, I, I don't know if they were brothers or dad and brother and Drop Dead Gorges. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so it's nice to see that there, there's real life people out there just like that. Um, um, I don't, I'll, that's, I'll leave it at that. I don't want to say any um, inappropriate words. Um, I can just P.S. This is also on Prime for you listening at home. If you're yeah. Listening. Yep. You don't have to use a Groupon for this movie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I think I probably watched this at a perfect time, to be honest, because I think I think everybody at this point is feeling. Um, like for, I think for most of the the horror community, Halloween is probably like our favorite holiday, and so it really is like a. You know, you're hearing all this stuff, and it's like, man, can I even pass out candy this year? Which, of course you can. Uh, I've noticed just me. Uh, I don't know if it's part of moving, and I don't have neighbor kids destroying all my stuff. Just crackheads stealing the occasional thing they can think they can get a dollar out of. But um, I've already kind of griswolded my house for Halloween. Like, I was on the roof yesterday trying to uh, not fall off and tie a spider so it could hang off the roof. Uh, and so that uh, when I get back home, I can put cobweb everywhere. So um, I think especially with what's going on now, I feel like everybody's probably going to go out the extra mile in one way or another, whether it's decorating your house or, or shutting yourself in and watching a shit ton of movies. Or um, So I felt like watching this was a, a, a perfect timing. Yeah, I, I agree. It hit right at the perfect time. Or if you're going by Grizz's standards every four days, 
uh, also <laughs> works. No, just kidding. I uh, This is the first time viewing for me. This is one that I've heard uh, these other guys talk about for years at this point. And it's not anything that I actively avoided. It always sounded like it was good. Just fell through the cracks. So uh, I was blown away by this. I loved it. I love documentaries like this um, that show us um, really people kind of hiding in plain sight. Their everyday life, they're doing something or trying to do something remarkable in their eyes. And it's for the benefit of other people. And the majority of people that probably go through that, you know, there may be some of them that know these houses as, you know, the good house on that block or in that town that does this, but they really don't understand how much the people behind that care and the heart in this film, we're not going to be able to proper, properly articulate. I, 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 I'm not going to start crying and I don't want to be too heavy on it, but I was quite moved uh, by a couple of moments in this really that caught me off guard. And, yeah. um, I, I just, I really thought it was a, a special piece by the time it was yeah. all done. Was one of the ones that got you in the gut where old boy said he got a splinter and went inside and left his dad outside to do all the work? <laughs> yes. Yes, it was. And it, that's the thing. Like, I, I mean, we'll, we'll go more into detail, obviously, but this thing masterfully balances. I mean, it, it, it properly documents these people. It doesn't exploit them but it's not self-righteous. It still shows you some of their inadequacies, their quirks, their funniness um, because of that. And so I never felt like I was laughing fully at them, maybe a little bit, but it was their own doing, maybe them showing off a little bit for the cameras. But um, it, it just, this really, by the time it finished, was really authentic. I really, And I really, really loved it. Um, if it's something I can get a hold of, of a physical copy at some point for a fair price, I will. Um, Are you going to watch it three days a week? <laughs> not there yet. Not there yet. But, yeah, I, I, I really like this. It's just, it's just so damn endearing, you know, and that's, that's what it gets to for me because I, <clears throat> I like all of them for different reasons. So my favorite thing, because I want to know, which one are you of the three? Which one do you most identify with? And I'm gonna I'm gonna break the ice here. I know that you all definitely think that I'm Manny because he's the cheap ass guy who dumpster dives <laughs> for all of his <laughs> for all of his decoration. I'm the uh, the IT guy. Like I care about people, but I'm also difficult at times because I want to do good. Yeah. I'm probably the brother or the son, whatever. <laughs> It did remind me of you and your dad a little bit. Only <laughs> oh, my dad stops projects to go get high. <laughs> uh, if I had to I, pick any, it would be Victor, probably. Yeah. I, I do love uh, that when there's, I, they eventually start showing all the, all the haunted houses and stuff, but somebody's just, like, leaving crying. Like, they're so upset. They were so happy that they were crying and upset by it. <laughs> And look, I've worked in haunted houses for about a decade, you know, straight now. And to think that somebody is doing it, like the whole shebang, not, not going to be an actor like I do, but somebody who builds all of this all year long is worrying about it, puts it together in his yard for one night to make no dollars off of is absolutely astounding to me. Like, I act, I act for the love of it. 
but I don't have to put in all the time of building and all the other bullshit that goes along with it. And to think that people do that for absolutely no financial reward is crazy. Victor, they talk about that one point. His wife is talking that like that house is nothing like what they said they wanted when they were house hunting. But Victor chose <laughs> that house because it was in a trick or treat heavy neighborhood. That's yep. why he chose the fucking house to put his family in. And I yeah. love that she's got a tiny ass room and she just starts sewing costumes in. Yeah. And I, I he, was that the first year too that his, cause so his one daughter loves everything. Like she's uh, yeah. got all these Barbies that she's like decapitated and <laughs> splattered and very proud of it. But the other sister's like complete opposite and how happy and excited he is that it's the first year that she wants to participate. I don't believe that they are opening for COVID reasons this year, but I believe that Victor's haunt is still, like his professional haunt, is still operational. Oh, that's awesome. There's yeah. Vinny's, there's Vinny's spoiler. At the end of the film, you find out yeah. that Victor goes uh, goes full, like, because his IT job let him go, so he decided he was going to, like, work from home and do some stuff like that, but he decided he was going to make a legit haunt, like a, a professional haunt, so... And this was made back when? Oh, nine? Is that what we uh, said earlier? 12. 12. Okay. So, I mean, it's eight probably years later. Maybe oh, nine, ten. Um, I, it's, it's a seasonal watch. I love it. I, uh, I, I, are we going to go any deeper? I don't want to spoil anything or take oh, thunder away. Real quick, I was going to make fun of Manny one more time because, again, Manny is me. Manny's like... Yeah, Victor, he's got a good operation over there. Victor likes to make everything look real professional, whereas me, I like to make let your imagination do more than work. Like, that's his explanation for why he's got all the, the cheap shit that he just found for free. <laughs> yeah, see that there? Put your mind. Yeah, I found that organ on the side of the road, that skeleton. He's playing the organ, right? You know, it's it's scary. <laughs> but but yet you see the line he has yeah on halloween and, and like and and you're the same as me at this point with the yard decorations i want to be that guy i want to be the yes. guy that the people in the neighborhood go by and remember it and come back the next year i want to be the memories that are made for people down the line yeah, and I want to be the guy in the neighborhood that people are actually scared of because I just look <laughs> at them from upstairs. <laughs> no, one, I uh, one, one last thought on that sure. scene is as they're getting ready to, to launch the haunt, and the wife, his wife, is telling all the kids like, "You don't go in no strangers. <laughs> Any strangers try taking you, you yell for an adult. We'll fuck them up." <laughs> That's the first time she ever gave warnings because the cameras were there. <laughs> just kidding no uh for me one thing i want to make sure we mention and i think what what literally buttons this documentary up what what takes it it would have been good without it but what makes it special is after he's accomplished his halloween night and he's emotional and he Victor. just talked about how he's got the greatest family in the world yeah and everything that i'd watched for an hour and a half clicked together and i mean i already knew this about these people but I just, I love that scene so much. It was such a human moment because the majority of people that probably walk by this guy every day either think he's goofy or just harmless but not interested and don't understand the, the obsession. But for him, it, it doesn't matter that this is about a haunt or it's about anything we care about and work hard for and try. And so he understands that people have had to make sacrifices that he's been difficult that this isn't a normal life at times for his family 
and he and he doesn't take it for granted. I just I really really loved that moment. I thought that was just excellent. It it, it was the the cherry on top of this film. Yeah, absolutely. He was king that night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and really nice, I mean, because, you know, because we got to get that glimpse of what his family endures for him to be able to do that. And, yeah, uh, yeah that was that was good. Yeah, the daughter talking about the empty promise he'd made her for the little room the year before and forgot. And then, but then he, he hasn't. He points in and says, you know, you like it, don't you? It's just nice little scenes like that. Yep. It, it really does touch on uh, the humanity. You really do get a nice glimpse of humanity of real people. Yeah. Excellent what about pick. what about uh, what about how every time that uh, that Matthew got near his little speaker microphone thing, he would always sing, oh, I, "I ain't got, got no nobody." <laughs> but he that, could. He could have Bobwa. That part <laughs> makes Sandy so awkward; she has to leave the room. Every time. Yeah, that's one of those things where I watch it and I'm like, man, I love this on my TV screen. I don't want to be next <laughs> yeah. to that. Yeah. How about with my favorite is when they're trying to piece together that uh, space alien prop that he <laughs> saw online and they're trying to Elmer's glue the ping pong. Oh, my God. It is like <laughs> watching two monkeys try to fuck a football. I love it. <laughs> so what I was going to say, too, on the on the subject of them, like, at some point, I watch their their beautifully simple life. You know, what I mean, like their their clown. They do the clown bit. The dad is all about collecting the pop tabs for charity, and I'm like, you know, sometimes I wish my life was just that that simple. You know what I mean? Like, I, they, you know, they 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 probably don't. Uh, they probably don't argue about politics on Facebook. They don't drink. They don't, you know, go out <laughs> cause trouble. It's like you know. They seem to be very content with the life that yeah. they live, and there's there's something to be to, to be envious about. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah, and and that's the that is the thing. They are the goofiest ones out of the entire thing. Their props are the absolute shittiest out of everybody, but their hearts are absolutely pure gold. Like everything gold. they do is for charity. Like it's all about helping, like Shriner kids and stuff. Like their hearts are gold. It's just watching their methods that get there. They're so entertaining. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, any any other thoughts on the American Scream? I recommend it to everyone. I think yeah. this Especially would be a great, uh, a great kickoff piece for your Halloween season just to get your mood jump started. And it's on Prime. Don't cost nothing. Don't cost nothing. Yes, it makes my heart very warm to hear that you all enjoyed this one. It's it's a special one for me. I would like to point out that Grizzly and I both were stuck between <laughs> for our picks for this for best worst movie in the American Scream. I like he kept and trying to get me to pick stuff so that he could get like bonus movies. We 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 basically flipped a coin on who would pick which one because we love both of those documentaries so much. Yes. Little little behind the scenes for listeners. Uh, people like to gamble and put up poker faces when we're making picks on stuff like this sometimes. So I'm just glad we picked it with enough time to watch them. <laughs> Todd, what did I say I would hate if you picked? Um, American movie. I said, Todd, I would just, boy, I'd be pissed. Oh, man. Movie. Which I, I, I 
thought it was funny that you thought my it's sound okay. was like, I, I had like 10 in mind. I was just narrowing it down to one. I'm a little Well, the good news you, is we'll you, do another one of these. Hell yes, we will. Three times, like what, in the last three hours? And I can't get you to watch like a movie I recommended like three years ago. <laughs> yeah. This is the same guy, too, that's hard to get to do big franchises. But I will see that he's watching all five Rambo movies or. Uh, hey, just fair warning. He's Teflon with this. He doesn't just get it from people on this show. He gets it from other <laughs> friends, too. It ain't going to work. Robert watch, watches what Robert wants to watch. I can't get you to watch a Dracula movie, but you just watch Missing in Action 1 through 3. <laughs> <laughs> you, know why, you know why I don't watch your movies? Because fuck your movies, that's why. <laughs> well, that's because I have the hammer, Dracula, where you have the MC hammer, Dracula. It's a difference. <laughs> All right, folks. Well, it's been fun. This has been a good good time for good conversation. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have. Todd's working really hard to queue up uh, the mom from Don't you run it. <laughs> you run <to> everything. <laughs> so signing off. hospitality, and I won't allow it. <laughs> oh, we're off the rails here. All right, wrapping it up for the Midwest Sponsors Podcast. One of your hosts, Grizzly Abner, and I'm joined by... Professor Wagstaff. Venomous Benny. Hot toddy. Stay scary. I'm playing that. It's about a minotaur. I ain't got nobody. Cut us. So I never realized.